0: shear is Shlishi, the third chapter of the laws concerning forbidden foods. Aleph, Paragraph one. Any food which is a product of any of the forbidden species whose consumption is forbidden, for which the Torah requires flogging. That food one may not eat biblically. Kigon, for example, behema The milk of unclean animals and beasts. The eggs of a fowl or a fish that are unclean, they are also forbidden. The product of an unclean creature is likewise forbidden. As the Torah says in the book of Leviticus, and the daughter of the yana. And what does that mean, the daughter of the yana? That means its egg. Zubitasa. This refers to its egg. And the same thing would be true about anything that is forbidden, just as the yana is forbidden, and for anything that is analogous to the egg, a product of a forbidden food, of a forbidden animal or creature. In other words, this law of Bas-Hayana, the daughter of the Yana, sets a precedent for anything that is analogous to it. Halacha Beis, paragraph 2. Human milk is permitted, even though human flesh is forbidden. We have already explained that human flesh is forbidden by a positive commandment. But nevertheless, human milk is permissible. Halacha Gimel, paragraph 3. Bees and hornets' honey is permitted, since it is not exceded from their bodies, rather they collect it from the flowers into their mouths and then regurgitate it into the hive. And they do this in order that they have available food for the winter. So the honey is not a part of their bodies that is extracted from their bodies, but rather it is something that they merely carry in their bodies. Halacha dal, paragraph four. Although we already mentioned before in halacha Bays, paragraph two, that human milk is permitted, the sages have nevertheless forbidden an adult to suckle it directly from the breast the woman must first milk it into a utensil, and only then may the adult drink it. And if an adult does suckle it directly from the breast, we consider this as though he had suckled unclean substance and is punishable by flogging prescribed for disobedience. That means it is not a violation of biblical law for which biblical flogging would be administered, but there is a flogging that is given for rebelliousness by the rabbis, and this person would be subject to that. Halacha <laughs> paragraph five. The <laughs> child may continue to suckle even four or five years. However, if the child was already weaned and was separated from nursing for at least three days or more, and it was through his health, or while he was healthy, not because of illness. If it would have been because of illness, it wouldn't matter. But if it was in a time of health, this child may not resume suckling and nursing. But who provided. ach'a <laughs> chodesh. If he was weaned after 24 months. chodesh <laughs> chodesh. But within the 24-hour, 24 24-month 24 period, Even if he was weaned, the child was weaned for a month or two, it is permissible to return and to have the child nurse again, resume nursing, until the end of 24 months. So that, in effect, if the child never stopped, was never weaned, then the child can keep on nursing four or five years. But if he was weaned within 24 months, even though it is permissible to resume nursing, as we mentioned before, but it only... Is permissible to resume nursing up until 24 months and not beyond that. That is how the Beis Yosef explains the words of the Rambam. Halachavav, <laughs> <laughs> paragraph 6. <laughs> Even though the milk of an unclean animal and the, f- the eggs of an unclean fowl are biblically forbidden, one does not get lashes for them. One is not subject to flogging because of the consumption of one of these things. Shinemar, because it says in the Torah, From their meat, from their flesh, you shall not eat. Which we deduce, One gets flogging for the meat, but one does not get the lashes for an egg or for the milk. However, one who does eat this is... It is the equivalent of eating less than the minimal amount. For example, if one eats less than a kezaias, an olive's worth of meat that is not kosher, one does not get lashes either, although it is biblically forbidden. Likewise here, even though it is biblically forbidden, it is not subject to flogging. However, the rabbis have the right to administer lashes for disobedience, but it is not subject to the biblical form of flogging. Paragraph seven. The Rambam says, and this is something that he doesn't say very often what his own opinion would be, it would appear to me, he says, that whoever eats the roe of an unclean fish which is found in its belly should be regarded as though he had eaten the intestines of unclean fish and is liable to a flogging based on the Torah, unlike what we learned in the preceding paragraph that eggs we do not subject a person to flogging if he would eat eggs of an unclean fowl, but in this case there is flogging, since it is still within, it is found within the fish and is not something that comes out of it. And the same thing the Ram said would apply 2. The eggs of unclean birds which are still attached to the cluster and which have not yet been separated and matured. Whoever eats of them should be liable to a flogging as though he had eaten of the bird's intestines itself. Halachachas, paragraph 8. <laughs> if a person eats the egg of an unclean bird in which the embryo had already begun to form, he is then subject to a flogging because it is considered to be a winged, creeping thing. If, however, he eats the egg of a clean bird, kosher bird, whose embryo had begun to form, he is liable to a flogging that is prescribed by the rabbis for disobedience. paragraph 9. adam, if a drop of blood is found upon the egg, the rule is as follows. If it is upon the white of the egg, the person may simply discard the drop and eat the rest of it. If the blood is found on the yolk, the whole egg is forbidden. A non-fertilized egg may be eaten if one is not fastidious. The way Rashi, in his commentary in the Talmud, explains this, it's an egg that is not fertilized by a male, but the mother is warmed up, heated by the earth, and she lays her eggs. And those eggs can never uh, bring a, a chicken into the world. It is permissible to eat those, however, that is only if one is not fastidious, and one doesn't mind eating such an egg. Halachayut, paragraph 10. shenolad nispatcho A newborn chick may be eaten even before it has opened up its eyes. Now, a kosher animal, a clean animal, that has been rendered Trefa because it has a fatal disease, a defect, its milk is now forbidden, just like the milk of an unclean animal. Likewise, the egg of clean fowl that became treif, that is now no longer kosher, is the same as the egg of an unclean fowl, and it is forbidden. Halach paragraph 11. A chick hatched from the egg of a treifa bird is permitted. A treifa is a bird that has a physical defect that would prove to be fatal, and that, of course, is not kosher. However, the egg of that bird is permitted, and the Rambam gives the reason for it so long as the species itself is not unclean. Since the species is a kosher one, the fact that it is a Trefa does not render it a treif, un- un- unkosher. Now, if the bird is doubtfully treifa, we don't know if it's Trefa or not, all the eggs of the first batch must be kept back. If it thereupon bears a second batch and begins to lay them, the first batch of eggs is permitted. For had the bird been a real trefa, it would have laid no more eggs. If it lays no more eggs, then the first batch is forbidden. Halakha Yidbeis, paragraph 12. The milk of an unclean animal, the non-kosher animal, does not curdle and become thick like the milk of a clean animal, of a kosher animal. Now, if the milk of an unclean animal is mixed with that of a kosher animal and is set, only the milk of the clean animal will become thick, while the milk of the unkosher animal will become out with the way of the cheese. Paragraph thirteen, which continues paragraph twelve, Now, based on what we just learned in paragraph twelve, the rule should be that while milk in the possession of a non Jew which should be forbidden, because he might have mixed with it, Milk of an unkosher animal, however, the cheese of a non-Jew should be permitted, since the milk of a non-kosher animal cannot make cheese, it cannot curdle. However, the rabbis, the sages of the Mishnah, decreed a prohibition against non-Jewish cheese as well. And the reason is that the non-Jew might have set it with a membrane of the stomach of an animal slaughtered according to their own method, which is considered to be nevela. It is not kosher, slaughtered properly. Now the Rambam uncharacteristically raises a question and gives an answer to it. Now, should it be argued that the membrane of the stomach is a minute quantity in proportion to the milk which is curdled by it? And therefore, we should subject this to the rule that says that if you have a small quantity within a large quantity, it would be neutralized. And therefore, why do we consider this cheese to be forbidden? The answer is, it is the membrane which curdles the milk into cheese. It's not just some type of ingredient that falls into it. That forbidden ingredient is what makes the cheese into cheese. And seeing that it is the forbidden thing which causes the curdling, the whole mixture becomes forbidden, as will be explained in due course, the Rambam was saying that when does the law of nullification apply? That is, if the forbidden substance is only there incidentally, but if the forbidden substance is the very basis of the whole thing that we're doing, we're trying to make cheese, then it does not become nullified. Halacha <laughs> Yudal, paragraph fourteen. <laughs> Now, what about cheese, which the non-Jews curdle with herbs or fruit juices, such as date brandy, whose presence can be detected in the cheese? Some of the Geonim, the post-Talmudic rabbis, have ruled that it is nevertheless forbidden, and this is so because the The decree which the rabbis have made against the use of cheese of a non-Jew was issued against all types of non-Jewish cheese, whether it was set with a forbidden or even a permitted agent. And the reason why all forms are forbidden, it's a precaution. Seeing that the non-Jews usually curdle milk with forbidden matter, the rabbis made no distinction, and they said all cheeses of non-Jews should be forbidden. Halacha Tezbov, paragraph 15. Ha'ochal gvinat shagayim ha'cholov sh'cholv gay ba'engis makinosa markus marthus whoever eats of non-jewish cheese or drinks milk milked by a non-Jew, not in the presence of a jew is liable to the flogging prescribed by the rabbis for rebelliousness for disobedience ha'chamishugal gay mikhas shagana hitiru ha'reila gazra al chama ba'khaleifat me'e ena omet now, as far as the butter of a non-Jew, some of the gaonim, the post-Talmudic rabbis, permitted it because there is no decree that was ever issued against butter per se and that the milk of unclean animals does not curdle. Therefore, it is impossible that non-kosher milk would have become butter. However, the Rambam continues, continues, Other gaonim, however, have forbidden it, because of the drops of milk which remain in it, since the buttermilk does not mix with the butter in such a way as to become neutralized owing to its small quantity. And all of the non-Jewish milk we are concerned lest they might have mixed in it the milk of a non-kosher animal. Paragraph 16. It would appear to me, the Rambam says, this is his own view, that if one purchases butter from the non-Jews and cooks it until all the drops of milk evaporate, it would then be permissible. Because if one will say that the milk got mixed up within the other things and it was all cooked together, then it's nullified, it's neutralized because of its insignificance. Insignificant amount. But the butter that was cooked by non Jews is forbidden for another reason. It's forbidden on account of having been boiled in non Jewish vessels, as will be explained in a subsequent chapter, chapter 17, that that itself would constitute a prohibition. Paragraph 17. If a Jew is seated, very close to the herd owned by a non-Jew. And the non-Jew brings him milk from the herd, even though in this herd there is a non-kosher animal, it is nevertheless permissible to drink that milk. Even though the Jew did not actually see the milking. However, the ramam says, That, is provided. that if the Jew can see the milking of the cow, if he would stand up, then it is permissible because then the non-Jew is afraid to milk the non-kosher animal lest the Jew would stand up and observe him doing so. Only then would it be kosher. Halachiy paragraph 18. An egg that is round and pointed at both ends or has the white inside the yolk is certainly the egg of an unkosher bird. Rosha ekhad gad, rosha ekhad gad, ba gelbon mebachutz of tahamay, ef shesheyefes of tahar. If one end is pointed and the other rounded and the yolk is inside the white, it may belong either to a clean or to an unclean species of bird. Ve'fi gach shavot tziya imam roshal of poney of tahar hu what does one do in a case like this? A person should question a Jewish hunter who is selling the egg. If he says that it is the egg of a certain bird which he specifies by name, and if that bird is a kosher one, then you could rely on that hunter. But if he says that it is the egg of a kosher bird, but without specifying the name of the bird, one should not rely upon that hunter. test, paragraph 19. Therefore, the Rambam concludes the idea that he mentioned in Halachah Yudches. A person should not purchase eggs from a non-Jew unless he recognizes them and has expert knowledge that they are the eggs of a specific bird which is kosher. And we're not afraid... Maybe these eggs are the eggs of a Trefa or of nevela. Trefa is the bird who has a disease and is not kosher. Nevela is a chicken or a bird that has been killed, but not through shchita, not through the ritual way. And that is forbidden as well. And the egg would be forbidden. We're not afraid that that should be the case. Nowadays, we buy eggs from non-Jews, even though they don't specify that it's from a kosher bird, because now most eggs that are... Found within our regions, within our communities, are of a kosher species. Ve'ain lokhim in hagoyim beitza trufa klal. One should not, under any circumstances, purchase beaten eggs from a non-Jew. Paragraph twenty. Beitei dogim simonehem kisimani beitei ha'olf im ha'yishnei racheha kadin ochadin tmeya echad kadin ve'echad chad, shoel la'yisraeli ha'mocher. im amelo ani malachtim b'hotzeis mi'dog tahar ochal apiv. The eggs of fish are to be identified by the same signs as the eggs of fowl. If both sides are rounded or both sides are pointed, it is not kosher. If one side is rounded and one side is pointed, then you have to ask a Jew who is selling the eggs. If he says to the purchaser, I was the one who sold to them and had removed them from a kosher fish, you can eat on the basis of that person's testimony. However, if he just says flatly, they are of a kosher species, one does not rely on that person unless he is a person who is known to be trustworthy in these matters. That is, in matters of keeping the laws of Kashrus. Paragraph 21. One should not purchase, likewise, cheese or a piece of fish that has no identification sign unless it comes from a Jew who is known, who has an established reputation as being reliable in matters of the Jewish dietary laws. However, in the in Israel, in the days that the majority of the inhabitants of Israel were Jews, one is allowed to purchase from any Jew who resides in Israel. One relies that it came from the majority. <laughs> Milk <laughs> may be purchased from a Jew anywhere. <laughs> Paragraph 22. The <laughs> person who pickles on kosher fish, the brine of the fish, is forbidden. However, the brine of unkosher locusts is is permitted. Since locusts have no fluid in their bodies. Therefore, one should not purchase the brine of fish from non-Jews unless a clean fish, a kosher fish, is floating in it, even if it is only one fish. Paragraph 23. Ananju who brings a crate full of open jugs of brine, and a single kosher fish is floating in one of them, all are permitted. If the jugs are closed, and he opens two in succession, and a clean fish is found in both, then all are likewise permitted. The fact that he found in two consecutive ones kosher fish indicates that that sets the standard for all the rest of them. Otherwise, if he just finds kosher fish in one and the other ones are still sealed, that would not guarantee that all the others are kosher because they're not considered as one since they're not all open. In contrast to the preceding case in which all the barrels were open, they are all considered as one. However, the Raman qualifies this. When is it permitted? Only when the head and the spine of the fish are preserved, so that a person could recognize it as a kosher fish. Therefore, one should not purchase salted minced fish, which is called hashed tris, one should not purchase it from non-Jews, because there are no identification signs. However, if the head and the spine of the fish are recognizable, even though the fish is minced, it may be purchased from a non-Jew. Paragraph 24, and the final halacha of this chapter. A non-Jew brings a keg of fish cut up in such a way as to make it obvious that all the pieces belong to one fish. Should scales be found in one piece, on one of those pieces, all of the pieces are considered to be kosher, because we assume that they're all from the same species and they're all kosher. However, it's implicit in these words of the Rambam that if they're not all cut up the same way, then the fact that one of them has scales on it would not mean that all the rest are kosher as well, only the one that has the scales on it. With this, the rabbim concludes Perek Shlishi of Hilchos Machalos Asuros, the third chapter of the Laws Concerning Forbidden Foods.